for notices. I am, before we, we kind of get into the, the message, I think one of the, the passions in my heart for all of us this year, and certainly for myself, is that we would have a fresh awareness of the value and the importance of God's Word. I feel we need to have a robust faith, faith for the year that lies ahead. And robust faith can't be around feelings. It has to be based on what He said, because He is faithful. And, and, and a question I keep asking myself is, Lord, how can I value what you say more? How can it become more precious and more central to, to everything that, that I do? And I think that's something you've got to be quite intentional about because some of us have been Christians for a long time, stuff you can quote with your eyes closed. My question is, is it still real? Does it still vibrate within you? This is his word that brings life to you. So just want to pray that for us this morning. Lord, we, we pray, give us a fresh appreciation of your word. Lord, may we value what you say afresh. May, may it, Lord, Lord, may it be invested in the very core of our being. We want to live and move according to the word of God. And Lord, according to what you have said to us, because as we've said over and over and over again this morning, Lord, you are the faithful God. And Lord, you're not a man that you should lie. And God, I pray for all of us. May there just be a, a fresh awakening to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Genesis is our journey for the next four months. And then he said four months, four months. And uh, trusting it's going to be a great journey. Um, my goal this morning is uh, just to introduce the topic. Uh, I'm going to preach through the whole of Genesis. I hope you haven't got lunch on the stove or anything like that. Um, but I want to do two things, break it into two things. How many of you are familiar with the Bible Project? Some of you. All right. If you want to uh, do yourself a favor for your quiet times when you're spending time in the Bible, go on to YouTube. It's absolutely free. And just call up the Bible Project and any book of the Bible got a brilliant introduction, overview of each book of the Bible, and it's really helpful. It's really simple, gives you a great understanding before you get into all the detail. So what I thought this morning before we start, we're going to do a quick overview. It's a five-minute overview of Genesis. Genesis in the Bible project is broken into two parts, part one and part two. Part one is verses, uh, chapters one to 11. Part two is from 12 onwards. This is part two because I think many of us are quite familiar with uh, the first chapters of, of Genesis, and uh, so that'll just give us uh, a launch in this morning, and then I've got a few things to say after that. So hit the play button, and we can watch that. We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden, where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction, and it ends in the Tower of Babel, where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel 
to the story here in the middle. Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're gonna have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob, the younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's gonna steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat and his brothers because of this come to hate him so much so that they plan on killing him but they don't they instead just sell him as a slave down in egypt now while in egypt through this crazy series of events joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there and so later on the the whole middle east falls into this food shortage and joseph's brothers they come down to egypt looking for food and then when they get there who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother. But God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis, but we still don't know how exactly he's gonna use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer. Here we are, last short message. And uh, I've got some more to say. 
I think um, there were two things that struck me in preparing uh, for an introduction to the book of Genesis this morning. The one is this, the first one is this, how important it is to have a faith perspective of life. You can have a historical perspective of life. You can have a scientific perspective of life. You can have a philosophical perspective of life. But it's so important to have a faith perspective of life. In other words, it's understanding life from God's point of view. That God is an integral part of our understanding and our worldview. The second is a lot more radical in that. And, and it, uh, I, I, you know, I've read the book of Genesis and preached to portions of Genesis many times before. But for the first time it struck me how controversial and countercultural it is to talk about what Genesis says. I don't know if, if, if that has ever struck you because Genesis makes some profound statements about God. It makes profound statements about creation. It makes some profound statements about the origin of man and, and, and the, the reason we've got all the chaos around us in the world at the moment. In fact, if you go to the very first book, uh, very first verse uh, of Genesis chapter 1, it simply begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know that most people and the majority of people in our culture don't actually believe that? And Genesis starts by just making this incredible statement, God has created the heavens and the earth. Why was God creating the heavens and the earth? I'll tell you why. So that people could know Him. And that God could have a relationship with people. Look at, look at what the, the psalmist says in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. There is an invitation for you and for me now when we walk outside or tonight. When you look up into the heavens, you will see His glory being displayed every night of the year. I mean, that's incredible. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. God wants to be known. In fact, Paul, and you're not going to see all these scriptures on, on the screen if you are following along. Some of them will be there, others won't. But listen to what Paul said in in Romans chapter 1, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, he means by that his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. God has revealed himself and he has revealed himself in his creation. And you know that's what men and women of faith have believed for years. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, listen to what it says. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That's a faith view of life. It's interesting when you get into the New Testament and when you get into the book of Acts and chapter 4 of the book of Acts, 
we discover the early church, the early believers praying for boldness, for God's to do signs and wonders and miracles. But listen to the way they start their prayer. Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. Amen. You see what boldness and confidence comes in prayer when we know we are praying to the Creator God. He's not an abstract idea that we have formed in our minds. He is the one that created this planet. And He is the one that created the moon and the stars all around us. And when we pray, we speak to Him. Amen? You don't seem very excited about that. Genesis makes another bold statement about the human race. So, so God created man in his own image. I want you to do something. I hope I'm not being too child. Why don't you just put your hand on your shoulder? And I want to say to you, you have been created in the image of God. That's profound. God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God has made you and me in his own image. And irrespective of your upbringing and irrespective of my upbringing, whether you were raised in a poor home or a wealthy home, whether you male or female, old or young, we are all created in the image of God. That's amazing that every being, every human being, has been created in the image of God. Genesis also states that all the brokenness, all of the injustice, all of the, if I can use the phrase, diabolical behavior we see all around us can be traced right back to the fact that this is all due to the fact that people have disobeyed God. Do you know what went wrong? Us. We chose to disobey this is not kind of some cause and effect. It's when you disobey God, you let loose something terrible. And that's what we see all around us today. Genesis tells us there was a serpent, a talking serpent. We know that today we would call him the devil or Satan. And he, he tries to deceive the woman that God has created in his own image. And now the serpent, the Bible says, was more crafty. You hear what it says? He was more crafty. He was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, did God really say, and listen to what he quotes, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Is that what God said? Not at all. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And then boldly and brazenly, the serpent says, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. You notice the serpent is being described as crafty and subtle, in the way that he goes about deceiving Eve. 
And the point being made is the root cause of all of the problems in the world is when people choose to believe the devil and disobey God. That's the root cause. Why is that so important? Because the cross only makes sense when you believe and understand that. Otherwise, Jesus just died as a good man. It's interesting. When you come to Matthew chapter 4 and you look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, it's obvious from his response that he had read the book of Genesis. You know that Jesus studied the book of Genesis, like we're supposed to study the book of Genesis. So when he faced the t- faces temptation from the enemy, and the enemy says to him, did God really say Jesus? His response is the response we're supposed to have. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus understood that was the problem. That's where it all began. People started to doubt the word of God. Jesus said, I'm not going down that road. I stand on what is written. And it's where you and I need to stand as well. Genesis says that because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, something so serious came into being that only God himself could do anything about it. As a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience, a curse is pronounced that had far-reaching effects on virtually everything. It has an impact on the, on the serpent. It has an impact on the relationship between Adam and Eve. We're still feeling that today. It has a, an impact on, on man's relationship with God. It resulted in, in severe pain in childbirth. And the Bible says even the ground itself was cursed, resulting in painful toil for Adam. There it is. To Adam he said, and I'll just pick this up, the last verse 17. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Do you know why God puts limitations on the things that we can and can't do? Not because he wants to rob us of our joy. He doesn't want us to get hurt. You see what happens when you ignore what God has said. It brings pain. It brings destruction. It brings strife. And we see it all around us today. Now one of the most brilliant verses in Genesis is chapter 3 and verse 15. Because God said there's coming a day when Satan will be crushed under the heel of a man. He'll be crushed. Now I'll put enmity between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the serpent. And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. And when Jesus died on the cross, that's exactly what began to happen. That's what Colossians is talking about. He disarmed powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them by the cross. I want to say, praise God that he will be crushed. Genesis describes what happens when sin begins to spread. 
And you'll notice for the first time, we have the account of a murder taking place where Cain kills Abel. In Genesis 4, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and he killed him. And then things become so bad on the earth, God says, I'm going to destroy mankind and all the creatures I have created through a devastating flood. And Genesis 6 reminds us how the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And listen to this. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. I wonder if we're almost not back there again. But we notice not everybody's destroyed. One man is saved from the flood. One man who chooses to believe God again. One man who believes God says, there's coming a day when I'm going to wipe out and I'm going to destroy, but build an ark and Noah believes him and he builds an ark and Noah is saved and his family is saved. And Hebrews tells us, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Friends, when we believe God, we will be saved. Genesis also tells us that despite this flood, God was far from finished with what he planned to do on the earth. And so God appears to this man. We saw uh, on, the, on the clip early on, he appears to this man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, by the way, is another example of a man who believes God, who trusts God, who listens to God, who puts what God says into practice. And the Lord says to Abraham something profound. He says, it's my desire, it's my intention to bless all the nations of the world through you. I mean, isn't that a profound statement? God, God is saying to Abraham, this man who's got no children, he said, through your offspring, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. In Genesis 12, we read, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, leave your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And we are reminded once again that even although that seemed impossible, when God says something, He will do it. Have you noticed... I loved that picture of Abraham and Sarah when they got old, all sunken cheeks and all the rest of it. And yet the Bible says God was gracious to Sarah in Genesis 21. And the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at, and at the very time God had promised him. And I want to share some brilliant news with you. 
you know that in Christ that promise became a reality. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says this to us. Read it with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen, church. Wow. You know what struck me when I was reading this? I wonder if we haven't got so enamored by all the things around us, we've lost sight of what real blessing is. Real blessing is the one that comes from heaven. And it's in Christ. And it's available for everyone who believes in Him. As you saw early on in that video clip, Genesis also reveals that there was a line of people through whom God would continue to fulfill what He'd said. It begins with Abraham. It then moves on to Isaac. And then to Jacob. And then to his 12 sons. Remember what God had said. God had said, I'll crush Satan under his feet. God had said, I will bless all the nations through you. And what's interesting to me is although these people are not perfect, God remains faithful. Isn't that brilliant? Even though we are faithless, God remains faithful. We see this in the life of, of Abram and Sarah. Even when they're past childbearing age, God gives them a son called Isaac. We see that in the life of Jacob, who is the deceiver, because that's what his name means. He goes around deceiving until there's a day when God meets with him so powerfully that Jacob's life is turned around. And then Joseph, one of his sons, is sold into slavery because of his brothers and by his brothers. But once again, because of God's faithfulness, we see the brother that was discarded. The brother that was sold into slavery becomes the man through whom God fulfills his purposes. That's because of God's faithfulness. You know, Jacob makes, Joseph makes a profound statement. And you, know, you can make profound statements when you walk the road of life and when you have the experience on the other side and you're sitting there and you're looking back because hindsight is perfect sight and you look back over your life and you look back up to the day when one day God gave you a promise that your, your brothers will bow down before you and you look to, and you remember God's promise that your mother and father and your whole family will one day bow before you and you look back at how events unfolded, how your brothers sold you into slavery and then where was God's promise? And you remember and look back as you were faithful in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife does a, a dirty on you and you end up in prison. And then you are faithful again in prison and you interpret people's dreams and they forget about you. And where is God's promise? And Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good for the saving of very lives. You see, faith perspective is awesome, having a faith perspective. Another wonderful thing for you and me today. You can read that now. At wherever you are in your life, you can read that now. And you can be confident that God is at work in all things for the good of them who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Amen. 
Why are we given all this information in Genesis? I think we're given this information so that we may know God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. We're given this information so that we can know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. We are given this information so that we can know God is always faithful to his word. We are given this information so that despite what is happening in our lives, we will remember the words of Joseph. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. You see, that's a faith perspective. That's living by faith. And that's why I want to leave you with that scripture this morning. God is at work in all things. In all things. In all things. Sometimes it's great trouble. My sense is for 2020, we need to have a robust faith. I don't believe things are going to be easy, but I believe God will be with us. I believe God will work out His purposes as we trust Him. You know, there's one thing that always intersects what God is doing. It's sin. It's when we won't believe or we choose not to believe. But let's believe this year that God is at work in all things for the good of them who love Him. And that doesn't mean it's all going to work out the way you planned. But I can tell you it's going to be good. And I'll tell you what will happen. One day you too, and I too, like Joseph, we will look back. And we'll look back at the injustices. And we'll look at people who did a dirty on us. And we'll look at all the promises of God and we'll say God was faithful to his word because God was at work in all things for the good of them who love him. Amen. Amen. That's it. I'm finished. Stand with me. Let's receive that promise this, this morning. Let's receive that as a word of hope this morning. By the way, It says, God is at work in all things for the good.